Welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your quote-unquote anime expert, Jack Metcalf, and joining us is a new guest, Daniel Choi. Daniel, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, pal. How are you doing, man? Fantastic, man. This is your first podcast where we're breaking people's podcast cherries all the time on this show. I'm ready for you to pop my cherry, Jack. Uh, as always, when we have a new guest, uh, Daniel, why not tell the audience, uh, what is your anime experience? Where did you get your start with anime? What are some, some shows you like? And then, of course, we'll talk about why this movie uh, that you picked. Just uh, feel free to, free to give uh, some folks a little intro. Absolutely. So um, I'm a second-gen Korean, grew up in North Vancouver. I would say that my anime experience has been through my community and my family. My earliest exposure of anime was, you know, to me, to me it was more of like a cartoon experience. Growing up with Dragon Ball, growing up with anime of the 90s, you had Pokemon, Digimon coming at the same time throughout, as well as that there were some uh, cartoon variations um, throughout Japan and Korea throughout the 80s and 90s that I've kind of witnessed through my family, through my cousins, through family friends as well. Uh, but more of the, the, the cartoons and the animes and the movies that really kind of helped res uh, remnants or really kind of had a huge impact in my childhood. So really lots of, I'd say in around high school or grade eight, I was uh, some family friends and some people from the church community as in the Korean uh, communities, church and schools are a really big access point for that. And so I remember a Korean guy, he was just showing me about this new anime that was coming through is Naruto. That really kind of piqued my interest throughout. Um, I would say, though, I am actually, I wonder if I can say this, but, you know, for the longest time, I felt like I was a closeted anime fan, Jack. You know, yeah, just. I mean, um, you, you and me are the, like the same age. So I think there was that period where, where you know, uh, people would throw not so. Uh, Nice words, words I can no longer say on this podcast. Uh, if you were into anime, a lot of mean things would be said. And again, all those people who said mean things to me back then, they're now, you know, my friends who are asking me for anime recommendations because uh, that's just how the culture has gone. <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, uh, the, the, sh the shift of how things are. And so, yeah, no, so totally just get, get what you mean. I totally get what you mean. There was definitely the the dark period of being a closet anime fan. Uh, I think back in my early 20s, I was like a Doctor Who fan. And you know what? Uh, I can say most anime is better than Doctor Who. I, I feel confident in saying that. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm glad I no longer I'm glad I no longer have to pretend to enjoy that show to be to be a qualified nerd. I was just like, OK, I got to watch Doctor Who. That's the show everyone's talking about. And I don't think uh, that show has been super relevant to the last five years, especially. You know, I had a similar, very similar experience, man. You know, was watching Heroes just for and Firefly for the for the sake of it. I'm not sure if it was my true jam, but it was something to be, you know, for me to be part of the community. But now looking back, it's good. But there are a lot of great anime shows out there and great anime movies that are have a very significant part of our lives. Sorry, continue, Jack. Anyway, I mean, you you already cited uh, Firefly, and again, there's a show that's way better than Firefly called Cowboy Bebop, which we covered extensively on this podcast. So there you go. Let's get to the movie. Uh, so Daniel, you picked uh, 
a Ghibli movie. You originally picked Howl's Moving Castle, and then you changed your mind last minute. Why Spirited Away? Why did that one end up prevailing against Howl's Moving Castle? Yes. So, Jack, uh, growing up as a huge Ghibli fan, I think that it was... I've watched a lot of them. Most of the entire from my childhood growing up, and... I would say that there are three, two to three uh, Ghibli movies that have resonated in my life that has a very huge impact on me. It would be in a, it would be Kiki's Delivery Service, My Neighbor Totoro, and Spirit Away. Spirit Away was one of the first Ghibli movies that I actually got to see in theaters back in 2004, and being able to see such a beautiful, a stark illustration of 2D animation on the big screens was uh, a very uplifting and a very um, eye-opening moment for me. Um, I thought it was a very significant significant part of our culture, of the culture, for, for anime and for Japanese uh, anime film directing, that it had made such numerous um, accolades throughout. And so it is um, a beautiful story as well, you know, um, as Spirited Away kind of starts as that there's a, a young girl named Chihiro, young 14, 15-year-old girl, and it's just really the story about her. And it really kind of draws into that childhood um, nostalgia, that childhood perspective, and that, that innocence. And it really kind of draws you in. We remind you of a time when you were a child as well. Absolutely. So uh, this was indeed uh, Miyazaki's follow-up film to Princess Mononoke, uh, which is one of my personal favorite Ghibli films. It's funny, Daniel, I, I feel <laughs> it's almost rude for me to say, but I'm just going to say it because fuck it. Like that you, you've listed th your three favorite Ghibli films, uh, including this one. Well, I guess we're covering this one now. But again, those were three movies we had not covered on this podcast before. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we should... We <laughs> We covered my top three, which were uh, Princess Mononoke, Porco Rosso, Porco Rosso. and, and uh, The Wind Rises. Those are your favorite again, movies, eh, Those are my top three Ghiblis, man. Those are my top three. And uh, the manga of Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, the manga is fantastic. Uh, because once you read the manga of Nausicaa, you realize the movie is only uh, a third of the story. So that's the whole thing. Uh, Jack, I gotta ask, why are those your favorite um, Miyazaki films? You know what? This is such a, a dude brain answer. Uh, but when it comes to Princess Mononoke, I just love that it's the closest thing he made to an action film. And I know he would probably cringe if I referred to that story as an action movie, but uh, it does have some incredible action sequences. Um, Wind Rises, of course, is like, you know, his magnum opus anti-war film. And Porco Rosso, I just love because, again, it's about a, a, a disgusting, you know, alcoholic pig. I love it. <laughs> yes, and that's what they are, right? No deep meaning towards it. It's just a straight up drunken pig. <laughs> uh, and you know, there's a bit more deeper meaning. Uh, I, I I talked again on on the Porco Rosso podcast about how uh, Miyazaki doesn't actually like that movie um, because he considers it to be an adult film. He's like, you know, I make movies for children, not adults, and I messed up with Porco Rosso. Again, we could go off on Miyazaki. And again, I think now is a good time to get into the production of this movie. So yeah, this was his follow-up to Princess Mononoke. Um, this film cost about $15 million US to produce. It, production commenced in February 2000. 
he had two other uh, potential movies he could have made. One was based on the Japanese book, uh, Kiri no Muku no Fushi. Oh my God, I'm butchering this. Uh, Kiri no Muku no Fushigi Namachi and another uh, proposal, which was about a teenage heroine. Those two proposals were rejected and it was his third proposal, which became Spirited Away uh, that they ended up going with. I'm going to pull up something from my notes, which is pretty funny. The character of No-Face, which I think is like, you know, probably one of the most iconic characters in the Ghibli canon, I feel. Uh, he said he didn't plan on using that character. He said he's just a character who started out because he happened to be hanging around a bridge. And then he was the character was then drafted into being a stalker. One of Miyazaki's producers claimed No-Face was Miyazaki's alter ego. And Miyazaki responded by saying he's not that dangerous of a person. <laughs> Is that right? So, um, I love it. Just, just taking some parallels to Miyazaki now and she's completely defending that. I love that. <laughs> uh, uh, so here's what he said about the power of fantasy. As for the power of fantasy, that was my own experience. When I was younger, I was filled with anxiety and lacked self-confidence. And I was no good at expressing myself a, a few times. I truly felt free when times, for example, I read manga or read books I borrowed from someone. Nowadays, people say you should face reality and not flinch from it. But I think the power of fantasy is that it provides a space for people to become heroes, even if they lack self-confidence when trying to face reality. It doesn't have to just be manga or animation. It could even be stories from much longer ago. I just think that humans have always brought with them stories that make them feel they can cope somehow with things, that things will turn out all right. That's a nice perspective to hear from a storyteller like Miyazaki, you know, that, you know, often that we are correct with reality and we are, you know, dealing with the realism, the reality that life is pretty difficult. It's nice uh, with that perspective, you know, that we have that, that, re that um, the opportunity to escape into a, a bubble, a world, a, a safe realm for us to kind of resonate and be in, in this, these, uh, these troubling times and these difficult days. In the world, right, Jeff? Absolutely, absolutely, man. Uh, anytime you're going through tough times, it's uh, that's my response. I bury my head in fantasy, and at some point, you have to leave fantasy, or else you won't get any work done. But it's certainly nice to uh, to retreat there. Um, but this is crazy. I, so the fact that production started in just 2000, and yet the film was released like a year and a half later, that to me is crazy. Honestly, I kind of don't know how they were able to. You know, they must have crunched their asses off to get this film done in a year and a half. Because, uh, yeah, it was released in Japan on uh, July 20th, 2001. It is the it was until uh, the Demon Slayer movie, the highest grossing Japanese film. It made four hundred million dollars worldwide. And that's uh, 2001 money, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I, wonder what the, film, uh... I was going to say it's a much better <laughs> film than the Demon Slayer movie. <laughs> No, I was just saying, I wonder if it's going to be better. I wonder if, uh, which movie stands, stands, um, uh, which, which, which of the two movies has aged well? Oh, the two, I'm kind of curious. I wonder, Jack. Which one? You mean Demon Slayer or Spirit? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, Demon Slayer, the Demon Slayer movie is barely a movie, uh, and we covered it on this podcast where I'm like, oh yeah, this was just a two-hour episode, uh, in the middle of a television show, as opposed to Spirit oh, Away, no, which okay. Yeah. Oh, you, you haven't watched any Demon Slayer, have you? I've watched a little bit of Demon Slayer. No, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's like a film. It's like, it, it's like when, like, a Shippuden or Bleach, when it's like a, it's just an additional, uh, like, a two-hour chapter or a filler. I get it. I totally get it, Dad. Well, 
Well, it wasn't filler. It was literally just, uh, again, you can listen to our podcast on the Demon Slayer one. Everyone check in. But yeah, the Demon Demon Slayer movie was just like, um, they were like, hey, this uh, little arc uh, from the manga is pretty short. We could just turn it into a movie. And they did. And obviously it worked out very well for them. Uh, But certainly I think Spirited Away is the better film. And, you know, good for that, for uh, maintaining... uh, it's hold on the uh, box office for being, yeah, the highest grossing Japanese film for about 20 years. So pretty nice record. And I think uh, someone on the street, uh, some reporter, they were in, they, they ran into Miyazaki and they asked him while he was picking up trash, uh, what he thought about the fact that Demon Slayer had outgrossed spirited away. And he's just like, I don't care. I'm just picking up trash. Leave me alone. (laughs) Good. I, I, I love Miyazaki's like curmudgeonly, you know, curmudgeonly grandpa uh, vibe. He's just like, you know, I don't care if this movie made more than mine. Who cares? I'm just trying to pick up trash. I'm going to clean up the river later today. Just leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, I'm just trying to live my life right now. I have no qualms about other things. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it, said it, that, it, like, oh, yeah. you were saying something. Go for it. Oh, no, I was just going to say like, ah, that, that kind of that is an interesting comment because Jack. If you ever recall of what uh, Miyazaki feels about anime as a whole. So, I'm going to burst your bubble on that comment. Uh, that's fake. It's fake? It's fake, bro. I'm sorry, man. It's just a meme. Oh, oh no. So, Miyazaki truly lo- <laughs> doesn't have any scorn against otakus? Is that what you're telling me, Jack? Or I think he does you know to what? some... Ex- I think he does to, like, maybe some extent, but... It- it's kind of the same way as his uh, protege um, Hideki Anno, where you know they're like, "Hey guys, go live your lives." Um, but yeah, that comment, uh, what was it like? Anime is a mistake or something? Yes, that was yeah. the clickbait headliner title when yeah, you Google. It's just a meme. This is a meme. Oh man, yeah, and it's it's like how Family Guy. Uh, has ruined the reputation of Walt Disney by uh, portraying him as anti-Semitic. It's like, sometimes things are just jokes. Did I, did I burst your bubble on there too? Yeah, Walt Disney was uh, only as anti-Semitic as everyone else was of that time, just not uh, specifically. Uh, yeah, I, I totally, yeah, for sure. I mean, they made Donald Duck a war hero, right? Yeah, fought, uh, fought against the Nasser. They sure <laughs> did, man. They sure did, you yeah. know. Um this podcast anyways moving on maybe we should continue to talk about the movie so yeah let's get into yeah. a little recap of spirited away um this movie it opens up oh, and of course my notes so this movie it opens up on a note uh from chihiro's friend it says i'll miss you chihiro your best friend rumi so chihiro and her family they are moving and chihiro could not be more miserable <laughs> um she she got a bouquet from her friends and she's like i finally get a bouquet and it's a good goodbye present. And Chihiro, his father, takes a, her father takes a wrong turn, but no worries, he'll be fine. He's got four-wheel drive, and they run into this old building, and Chihiro's father just walks straight the fuck in. Uh, so they're wandering into a mostly empty room with a stained glass window. Chihiro's father theorizes this is an abandoned theme park, and Chihiro is, is rightfully scared by the mysterious circumstances. Uh, her family doesn't care. Chihiro's parents uh, are not portrayed in the best light in this movie, wouldn't you say, Daniel? No, they're not. Um, they really, um, really play that part where they kind of disregard the child's thoughts 
as she's a child, and you know, as you see that they respond with um, with any objections with money because money talks, right, Jack? Yeah, and I mean, it should be noted that like um, Miyazaki, for for a good portion of his life, identified as a socialist. Uh, I think in the later years, he's backed away from that uh, label, but it's still uh, very much a part of his work. He, his work is pretty anti-consumerism. And yeah, the fact that his parents are just trusting, trusting their car, uh, you know, that, that the hunk of junk they've paid a lot of money for and, you know, wandering into an, you know, uh, an ancient place with no disregard for it. And then uh, furthermore, her father smells food. And he begins to gorge himself. Uh, but in her father's defense, this food does look very good. Absolutely. It looks very good. I believe, um, yeah, looks, uh, this, uh, I, I, one, of the, one thing I love about Miyazaki is his attention to detail to food. Um, in his certain movies, uh, you see like a, a very clear illustration and clear detail. And it just brings a lot of, a lot of appetite. Absolutely. His his animators have done a fantastic job. Um, you know the the many people who were just on food detail for this movie. Yeah, uh, Chihiro she doesn't eat because she's worried about getting in trouble. Uh, and her father says, "I have credit cards and cash, so we'll be fine." Uh, the relentless consumerism from her father, which uh, becomes his downfall. So Chihiro she runs away, and the world becomes uh, filled with spirits, and she tries to run back to her parents. And then she comes across a fairy and she starts to become see-through. And so she runs into a young man named Haku and he tells Shihiro she has to eat some food or else she'll disappear from the world. And yeah, it's here. Shihiro encounters her parents and uh, they've gorged themselves so much they've become pigs themselves. And again, uh, Miyazaki, who has already made a film about a pig man, he, uh, he has said he finds humanity uh, to be no better than pigs in a lot of ways. Laying it thick with the pig metaphor in this movie, especially. Definitely so. Um, yeah, you know, you see that Chihiro, she tries to run away as well, and as she returns to back to the exit, it is covered, is blocked by an ocean of water. And so she is trapped in the spirit world for the time being. No, it's a pretty, pretty freaky visual of her, like, fading away. But then, yeah, Haku saves the day. There's also a frogman they run into. I mean, uh, I don't know if you took notes. There's so many uh, wonderful little background characters in this movie. Uh, and I really dig the frogman who immediately notices that Chihiro is a human and Haku just has to, you know, make him buzz off. Yes, just kind of flies away. Can we give a shout out to Haku for, you know, being an incredible guy, just to being able to provide Chihiro with all these what to do, um, giving her uh, instructions and getting her to to um, how to survive in the spirit world while she's there. Absolutely. Like, no, uh, Haku, again, he's like basically the co-protagonist of this movie. And, you know, he's got his own secrets that we're going to discuss later on. Um, so, yeah, Haku, he tells Chihiro to ask the bathhouse boilerman Kamaji to give her a job. Uh, and when Chihiro, she's like trying to run away, get to Kamaji, uh, she goes down these broken stairs and trips and, uh, you know, she runs flat into a wall. And then um, we see a, f a toad man who's just taking a nice drag on a cigarette. Uh, and he's like outside a window and he's just smoking his cigarettes. And I don't know. I found that to be a fantastic visual. Also, just like, again, uh, Miyazaki himself, who is a relentless smoker. 
you know, you, you don't see cigarettes in Disney movies. I can tell you that right now. No, but yes, very, very. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like that's what something you associate with, uh, with, uh, Asian work culture. Um, lots of people working over hours and just trying to have a quick break and you know, squeezing a cigarette every chance they can, um, you know, when they can. No, the Toad Man is really just like taking a drag on that thing. He looks pretty, he, he's had a rough day. As one could be as a, as to work in a bathhouse. Uh, Kamaji, let's talk about Kamaji, Daniel. He's a six-armed spider-like dude. Um, and he's got his army of workers who there's, are they also like spider-like? I don't know if they have like eight limbs or six or whatever, but they're these, you know, little tiny uh, spider-like creatures and they're carrying coal and, you know, Chihiro, of course, she has to help out Kamaji. But, you know, he's got all his workers himself. And she tries to help out. And uh, we see that these little workers are actually pretty strong because Chihiro can barely even lift this one piece of coal. And then uh, the second she tosses the coal into the fire, the uh, the little spiders notice this and they drop their coal, uh, which I found to be pretty funny. And uh, Kamaji is like, you know, guys, you're you gotta get back to work, yo. I feel like yes, these little. Uh, sorry, you feel like Kamaji? No, go for it, bro. Go for it. It's your thought. No, uh, no, I'll just say like yes, those little spiders, those little sit sprites that we see there, um, or yeah. like those little black sits. Uh, interesting enough, we actually see these. Uh, here Miyazaki, he actually uses these same characters into another movie, which is My Neighbor Totoro. Oh so shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, it seems like he has kind of like a theme of kind of carrying things on to, which is an interesting because my, my neighbor Totoro is another kind of a spiritual movie as well, too. So I thought that was a really interesting detail that they had added both of them. Absolutely. The uh, the, the Ghibli shared universe. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Ghibli... Um, uh, Cinematic universe is that how the, the GSU? Yeah, yeah, the the G the GCU, the GCU. GCU. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if his uh, final film, his final film, which is coming out in like a month or two, and does not have any trailers. He's just like, I'm not going to have trailers for this movie. Yes, he's not promoting it at all. That's going to be the most. That's very interesting. You think of a man of that legacy, just kind of doesn't really need that he, kind of. He knows people will show up. That's enough for the the people. They're like, hey, new. You know, probably his final movie, given the fact that he's in his 80s. Uh, that's enough to get the people involved. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Kamaji's uh, wonderful little workers are disrupted by Chihiro. Um, but then Kamaji, he actually shows his his heart when uh, Lin comes in. So Lin, she immediately notices Chihiro is a human. But then Kamaji is like, no, Chihiro is just my granddaughter. And, you know, he keeps her safe. Um, yes, so yeah. I, feel, I feel like I feel like Kamaji is like that grumpy grandpa, you know, that grumpy bear who has like that stern exterior, but deep inside they got that little heart of gold, a little softy inside. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Chihiro, she goes with Lin. Uh, they take an elevator and they run into the Radish Spirit, uh, the Radish Spirit who is also just a fantastic uh, Ghibli creation. Yes, uh, in the elevator scene. I thought that was a very nice detail. Did you think that the the Radish Spirit knew that Chihiro was human and just didn't care, or he just was doing his own thing? I think the Radish Spirit had a lot going on. I think, you know, we we don't know if he has kids or a wife. He probably has his own <laughs> interior life. Bro, I'm just taking this elevator, man. I got shit to do, Chihiro. I don't care. You know, you do your yeah. thing. 
just gotta worry about work um, the next day. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what, what a rash spirit needs to do for work, but again, that's the interior life. Uh <laughs> So Chihiro, she takes the elevator with him and she meets with uh, Yubaba the witch and she asks Yubaba for a job and Yubaba's response is to stop her from speaking. Uh, and Yubaba also has a, a very large baby who ends up waking up and she finally relents and gives Chihiro a contract to sign. And this contract grants Chihiro's name to Yubaba and Chihiro's name is now Sen. Uh, Sen is the word for 1,000. It is the smallest denomination of yen uh, in Japan. So that's kind of the meaning behind it. So that, that's how low Chihiro is. She is the, the smallest bill. And Haku will now ref, uh, be referred to as Master Haku. Uh, Chihiro then does some work for the bathhouse. She crosses a bridge and sees no face, but, but he disappears. And when she turns to try and see him again, yeah. Um, sorry, I got that wrong. Chihiro, she crosses a bridge and sees no face, but when she turns around to try and see him again, he disappears. And then Haku gives uh, Chihiro the goodbye card her friend gave her, because Chihiro is already starting to forget her name, and if she forgets her name, uh, she can never get back home. And that's also the conflict we learn with Haku, because Haku forgot his name. No, no that detail no face, I think it's interesting that it's only Sen at this point, who has acknowledged No Face in this entire movie. Continue. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, no Face, who is very lonely, we later learn. So yeah, Haku, he gives Chihiro some food, and she breaks down crying. And it's here where it's also revealed that Haku is a dragon. Uh, which, again, is pretty remarkable. Uh, Chihiro, she works at the bathhouse, and again, she sees No Face and offers to keep the door open for him. Uh, this is gonna, you know... <laughs> have some repercussions later on. Uh, and then also, like, no faces. Doesn't he, like, come into the bathhouse and, like, try to help her out with, like, the uh, the bathhouse tags or something? Oh, uh, it's more like that she invites no face inside, um, believing that he is a customer, that, uh, that no face is a customer. Um, but going back, uh, you, know, we, you know, when we talk about Haku, let's talk about Haku for a little bit more. Let's do it, man. So let's do we, it. So we, we learned that, you know, we learned that he is also working for Yubaba. And so, and it's interesting that what kind of boss that Yubaba is. You know, Haku explains that, you know, the way that she controls people is by taking their names. And if they completely forget, as which Haku reveals that he has once, you know, he forgot his name, they just won't ever leave the spirit world. And so, uh, what, you know, do you feel that because of this, you know, the, the loss that Haku has dealt with, is that just more motivation for her, for him to help out Sen at this point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Haku doesn't want uh, Chihiro slash Sen uh, to suffer the same fate as he did. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk the pollution spirit. The pollution spirit arrives, yep. and it's so smelly, it ruins all the food they've made. And yet, yes. this is where Chihiro displays her pluck and her determination. She is the one who is able to uh, to cleanse the uh, the spirit, uh, and it turns out there's like a bike stuck in it, or something. Yep. Uh, I handle if yeah, she discovers that that is um, that she finds out, and so what? Yeah, and so the entire staff team decides to help together to remove the bicycle, and it all comes out a giant large of garbage. Uh, and all, again, 
the the uh, the social commentary is pretty thick. I mean, this is all garbage that humans have tossed into like the, the Lakers or whatever that spirit comes from and uh, have polluted it. You know, uh, the oh. spirit now cleansed. He tells uh, Shihiro, well done. And it gives her a dumpling, which is going to play a role later in this film. And yeah, gold and other objects are revealed, too. And uh, the people of the bathhouse, all the workers are very excited to see all these golden trinkets, you know, also begins to corrupt them themselves. <laughs> um, my boy Frogman, he sees some gold that uh, no face drops for him. And then no face consumes Frogman, which then gives no face the power to speak. And he then uh, orders another bathhouse worker to feed him. Yeah. Again, the the metaphors are fucking thick in this movie. Uh, no face uh, using the power of money gradually becomes larger and more obese and just consumes everything in its wake. Yes, you know, as soon as he immediately sees the gold, you know, like he immediately no, it's, it seems that no face immediately just draws that he knows that everyone is watching this piece of thing. So as he knows that he has this invitation gold to give out, that he is you know in a way accepted by these workers and he is um provided with all these um with high level service as we will see in the next scene well and that's actually the other thing a good point because we do learn that like no face is lonely and so the whole thing is like yeah because of uh no face's ability to generate gold uh that gives him some form of happiness uh because the people are actually paying attention to him Except, you know, they don't love No-Face for who No-Face is. They just love No-Face for, for for the ability to create gold and other trinkets. Uh, meanwhile, Haku in dragon form is attacked by paper spirits, and he returns to, to Chihiro briefly before returning uh, to Baba's tower. Uh, and yeah, this is where No-Face causes more havoc and consumes more people. Chihiro returns to Yubaba and encounters the baby, Baby Bo tells Chihiro to stay in the room so she doesn't get sick because uh, this baby has been told if it leaves uh, its room, it'll get sick uh, with germs and stuff. Uh, and Chihiro responds by putting her hand on uh, Baby Bo's head and saying she has germs now. Yes, we see that, um, you know, Haku is attacked by these um, origami or shikigamis, um, piece of uh, or origami papers that is attacking. Yeah. And we see that Chihiro-sen runs up to the top of the tower to help him. Um, and then we notice that that the magical origami is something else, right? Well, yeah, one of them uh, was uh, uh, Yanaba, who is uh, Yubaba's uh, twin sister. Zaniba. Zaniba, what the fuck did I just say? Uh, yeah, we learned this, like, one of these paper spirits is Zaniba, <laughs> who is y- Yubaba's uh, twins, uh, twin sister. And yeah, uh, Zaniba turns uh, Baby Bo into a mouse. And um, yeah, Haku slashes Zaniba. And then him and Chihiro, they both fall into the boiler room. Uh, Chihiro tries to force feed Haku the gift she got from the river spirit. Haku thrashes about and a gold seal that's covered uh, with like a black slug creature comes out of him. Uh, And Chihiro squishes that little spirit. And yeah, we learn this uh, gold seal belonged to Zaniba. Kamaji explains that Haku came to this place the same way Chihiro did, and Chihiro has to return the seal to Zaniba to save Haku. Chihiro then returns to the bathhouse. She is confronted uh, by Yubaba and locked into a room uh, with no face. 
And No Face actually wants to consume Chihiro. And Chihiro then gives him the dumpling, which he then proceeds to vomit. And uh, then he chases after Chihiro. And yeah, it's a pretty fantastically animated chase sequence. Uh, there's a lot of vomit coming from No Face as he's gradually getting exhausted. And he's also vomiting people out. Uh, but eventually he chills out. Uh, they get to like, um, is it a lake or an ocean? Where, where they uh, get to? Uh, they get out to this, the uh, train station out in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, the train station, that's what it is. Um, and yeah, Chihiro, she invites No-Face to follow him. Um, because yeah, that's the thing. No-Face was just lonely and wanted friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what, I thought it was a beautiful detail is that, you know, Hak, you know Haku is you know, gravely ill, and they need to go, um, you know, they need to go return the seal and apologize to Zuniba. And so they're trying to figure out how to get there. And so, hmm. you know, yes, I thought, you know, in that detail where, um, in that scene where Chihiro-san needs to, they need to resolve what to do about the seal and apologize to Zuniba, who is Yubaba's sister. And now she's got to figure out how to get there. You know, we see a little bit more of Hamaji's character and the kindness he shows where he offers up selfishly his, his train ticket that he's been saving up forever to give to Chihiro in order to help with, for Haku. Yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, they, they take a nice little train ride uh, with the other spirits. Uh, and Chihiro meets with Zuniba. And Zuniba is such a nice little grandma. I love the uh, the interaction uh, they finally have. Because I think, uh, given the fact that Zuniba's uh, first uh, meeting with Chihiro was not positive and was filled with deception and a bit of violence, you're, you, the audience, are kind of resistant. You're like, oh my god, what kind of confrontation is this going to be? And instead, she's just like the nicest grandma, which I loved. Yeah. <laughs> Very opposite uh, personalities with... Zaniba and versus Zubaba, which is a nice, um, which is very welcoming. <laughs> yeah, she returns the uh, seal to Zaniba, and uh, it's revealed that the protective spell is gone now. And it's also revealed that the slug Chihiro squashed was what was controlling Haku. And the spell, it turns out, can only be broken by love. Uh, Zanibo and Chihiro, uh, they have a wonderful meal together. And Zaniba makes Chihiro a magic hairband and forgives Haku. And No Face is then hired by Zaniba. And Zaniba gives uh, Chihiro a hug, and Chihiro tells her that her name is uh, actually Chihiro, because Chihiro has now remembered her name. Uh, Chihiro, she flies on Haku, and while riding Haku, and it, again, it's probably like one of the most iconic sequences of the movie, uh, her flying through the air on Haku. You know, it got even me pretty emotional. Um... And it's here that Chihiro figures out what Haku's real name is. So when she was little, she dropped her shoe into a river. When she tried to retrieve the shoe, she dropped in the river and nearly drowned, but somehow ended up on land again. And she realizes the river's name was the Kohaku River. And uh, the reason that uh, Haku hasn't been able to return to his world easily is because that river is all apartments now, which again... Yet another uh, not uh, not so subtle dig from Miyazaki about uh, industrialism and just, you know, um, cities taking over uh, the the natural world, I suppose. Yeah, and he, you know, really nailing on that point of man versus nature 
that you know that we all deal with as a society um that internal yeah. conflict environmentalism it's almost as if we live in a society wouldn't you say so yes in um in a in a boring dystopian in in a, a late stage capitalism you know this is something that feels like Miyazaki has been able to provide with foresight yeah uh so yeah haku he turns in uh he turns back into his human form and they fly back together and yubaba she still has one last test for chihiro and it's to identify uh which pigs her mother and father are and chihiro says that none of the pigs are uh which is indeed the correct answer so now everything's resolved everyone is happy haku tells chihiro he'll be fine as he has his name back there we go. Haku vows to see Chihiro again, but she has to leave uh, the city with her parents who do not remember anything after the restaurant. There we go, man. That's the movie. <laughs> uh, do you want to get into more general stuff? Um, you know, I thought it was a beautiful ending, you know, because it really, because, you know, as uh, Chihiro is like leaving through the tunnel and she sees her family and then they are going through the tunnel, going back to where they originally go. So as we see, there has been a... Um, a lot of character development with Chihiro, you know, as we saw in the beginning where she is resistant and she's very upset about moving. And so towards the end, her mother asks her how she feels and how Chihiro responds is that she thinks that things will be okay. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that was Miyazaki's whole thing. He wanted uh, Chihiro to, to grow from kind of a bratty character into someone more confident, like he said. Yes, I thought, yes. Um, very lovely, very lovely story. And um, yeah, let's talk about more, you know, like, I believe that there has been some, you know, a lot of, you know, let's talk about the, the, the parallels and the portrayals that this movie has, because what I believe is that what that they were trying to, uh, that um, the portrayal that it took place after World War Two. And so um, during that time, bathhouses were a huge setting for everywhere um, throughout post-world war ii and jack you know where i'm going with this yeah you're, you're right though about <laughs> okay yeah you're right about miyazaki what he's just trying to nail that you know you watch that chihiro slowly conquer her fears and grows into a confident young woman you know absolutely um yeah he says uh miyazaki has said this in an essay i'm reading he says by the end of the film chihiro a once lazy and pouty character can assume a shockingly attractive expression despite the fact that the real world has essentially not changed at all. If there is one thing I want to convey, it's that words represent our will. Words are us and words are power. And he said, this is another reason that I decided to create a fantasy film set in Japan. Spirited Away may be a fantasy tale, but I don't want to make it a Western style one with lots of easy outs. I know that some may interpret Spirited Away as just another variant of ordinary other world films, but I instead like to think of it as the direct descendant of Japanese folktales. We don't have to call it anything like a parallel world, but our ancestors goofed up at the home of the sparrows and enjoyed gorging themselves at a mouse palace. He, he, he said it better than anyone absolutely could. And uh, you, dear listener, there's a fantastic series of essays uh, from Miyazaki called Turning Point. There are two books uh, that cover his entire filmography. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, could not recommend those books enough because it's just uh, Miyazaki uh, speaking on what his films represent. A lot of the essays involving Spirit Away uh, talk about 9-11, even though this film was released before 9-11. I guess uh, when people were asking him about uh, 
details about the film. That was just what was on his mind at the time and uh, how he really doesn't care for the U.S. I think also, yeah, we, we should say this. I can't believe I almost uh, forgot to mention this. This is, I believe, the first and only uh, Japanese film to win the Best Animated Oscar. Uh, there's a caveat because that Oscar uh, only started in 2002, which is when Shrek won. Shrek being the first film, uh, animated film to win the Best Animated Oscar. When Spirited Away won, and it, it beat out classic films such as uh, Treasure Planet. Uh, you know, pretty... <laughs> Pretty weak year, Treasure Planet, the film that pretty much bankrupted uh, Disney animation. But yeah, Miyazaki did not show up to the Academy Awards uh, that year because of the Iraq Ooh, War. Yeah. He was protesting. Yeah, that's right. He didn't want to visit a country that was bombing Iraq. And so, um, you know, and I believe at the time his producer, like, kind of did not allow him to say that. Uh, which makes sense because it plays a very profound impact, you know. Like most Japanese born in the 1940s, um, his childhood may have been, you know, marred by the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and I yeah. mean, the wind, the wind rises is his most personal film, and I mean, his own father like uh, worked on uh, airplanes as well. So his father, uh, you know, uh, designed planes for World War II. We talked about this extensively in the Wind Rises podcast, but yeah, uh, Miyazaki has had a complicated relationship of course as as any person of his age uh with the united states and with war uh he is a pacifist and uh he has been called a communist by uh far right uh japanese uh figures especially as japan is moving away from pacifism which you know to me is Aki, um you know again uh, he, he's very much does not want japan uh to even have much of a military because that's his philosophy, at least. Um, but yeah, not showing up to the Academy Awards was a pretty based move, as the kids would say. I watched the uh, the clip where they're uh, you know declaring the winner of uh, you know best animated picture, and you just see a bunch of people in the audience. They're just like, "All right, no speech, I guess," and they move on. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. He, that... he, he has since shown up though to the Academy Awards. Uh, he won one of those like lifetime achievement awards uh, later on, so he did show up later. Did he end up, um, you know, accepting the um, the honor? The did he end up accepting the Oscar back for the Spirit Away film? No, he never showed up. That? Never showed I think up. He, I think you know, maybe they sent it to him, maybe they mailed it or whatever. But yeah, he later accepted like a lifetime achievement award, which was presented um, by disgraced uh pixar animator john lasseter uh i won't get into that look up john lasseter on your own time uh creepy dude um but you know he was a huge ghibli fan and he, he um also was a big proponent in helping ghibli films come to the west and yeah he later uh presented a uh lifetime achievement award to miyazaki which was you know that was nice of him <laughs> nice of him aside from you know all the creepy uh sexual harassment he did at pixar uh, that's all getting cut. We'll just say the nice part. Um, yeah. Uh, moving, moving on. Jack, um, side note, isn't it, isn't it pronounced Ghibli? Not Ghibli? Uh, I've heard both. It's whatever I've you always, want to pronounce it. No fucking way. Get out of here. What do you mean? Like, it's tomato, tomato? Is that what you're saying? I think it's a tomato, tomato thing, man. Oh, I've heard Ghibli. I've heard Ghibli. I don't think anyone... Heard, it's, this isn't like I've a heard Ghibli a lot, 
This isn't like a manga versus manga thing where there's clearly, you know, manga is the correct word. No, it's more like, it's like, is it pronounced church or is it pronounced church? You know, it's like, it's a clear, clear difference, but, um, but hey, you're, this is, the, you're the, you're the expert. So, uh, I, I could be very wrong, but it, now, I'm having, it's, uh, now I'm having doubts, man. Now I'm having doubts if I've been pronouncing it wrong, but I'm am not I getting it up. <laughs> No, at least not today. <laughs> Uh, any more thoughts on Spirit Away before we move to our favorite segment? Let's get into our favorite segment. All right, we're fucking doing our favorite segment. Cue the music. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. Uh, so for those just joining, the Speedwagon is our favorite supporting character of the movie. I'll go first just to give Daniel some time. Uh, my Speedwagon is the little frogman. I thought he was delightful. What's more to say? He's like a frogman uh, wearing, you know, a nice little uh, yukata, blue one. Uh, he gets uh, absorbed by No Face and becomes the voice of No Face. What can I say, man? Also, shout out to the, uh, the toad man who was taking a drag on a cigarette, you know? Uh, whoever animated that little sequence, I was like, that person has definitely uh, smoked their share of cigarettes. That's <laughs> that's fair. Um, I guess my favorite supporting character would have been, I guess, Lynn. She is that um, that bossy bathhouse servant, you know, acting as like a, a figure to Lindo. And but you know, throughout this short movie, she is consistent with ensuring Chihiro and uh, protecting her from, you know, being detected by other harmful spirits. You see that, you know, as, you know, you see that she's, like, at first distrusting up to Hero, and then then becomes patient with her, and, you know, making sure that she's bad clothes and kept busy, and then closer to her out, you know, you see at this point where Lynn is in this giant little uh, circle, wooden, um, circle, like, boat thing, I guess, with a, with a paddle, with a, with a turn, with, like, a scooter turn handle. And she is just roaring her way just to um, check in and make sure that Lin, uh, Chihiro is okay. So definitely big sister vibes, big supporter of that. I want to give a shout out uh, to James Marsden, who voices Haku in the dub. James Marsden, we love him. Underrated actor. You know, I thought it was, um, you know, I thought the voicing, uh, the voice actors for Spirit Away were a solid team. Um, it seems that more of these hit Miyazaki films, that they are bringing more some such casted players as the voice oh, actors i i'm dyslexic it turns out that's not james marsden uh of cyclops and sonic the hedgehog fame that is jason marsden uh <laughs> who uh voiced the title character in tack and the power of juju video game trilogy uh so no that is not uh <laughs> the underrated uh james marsden star of jury duty <laughs> okay uh, let's, you know, let's <laughs> uh but tara strong who's you know been the voice of harley quinn for a good decade or so she voiced uh baby Bo, uh michael chiklis uh from the shield and other great shows he voiced chihiro's father yeah it, it wasn't exactly you know they were casting actors uh for their acting ability not their names i mean to be fair there are some key there are some strong actors that have voiced the uh miyazaki films no, I mean I love the uh, the Princess Mononoke dub uh, featuring uh, Billy Crudup. 
No, it's great. Oh, yeah. Howl Moving Castle. You got Christian Bale as Howl. Like, amazing. Yeah. Uh, but this one, they went a little lighter, but that's fine. Um, is it time for final thoughts on Spirited Away? Guess so. Uh, I'll go. Daniel, I have a confession, and maybe I should have started off this confession at the top. This is a movie I like but don't love. I, I can yes. appreciate its beauty. I can appreciate its artistry. But there's something about it where it's like, it, you, I think we've all been there before where you watch a film that you know is objectively well made, but you just don't feel it. And, I, you know, there are moments where I do feel it. Certainly uh, in the end where uh, Chihiro is flying on Haku, like, you know, feel that, man. I felt that in my heart. But I can't say this is one of my favorite Ghibli Ghibli movies, even in like, you know, if I'm ranking my top 10 anime films, it's, it's not in there either, man. Um, that's a hot take is why we probably waited over 100 episodes to cover this. I'm glad we finally did. I'm glad I got to revisit it. But yeah, I don't think my thoughts changed. I think this is a film that I can really appreciate the artistry. I certainly understand uh, where Miyazaki was coming from. But I don't know, man. It's one of those movies where you're just like, why am I not? Why is this not connecting with me as much as it should? Is, is there something wrong with me? Is it, is it a me thing? It must be a me thing. I don't know, man. I'm having an existential crisis just talking about this, but uh, that's where I stand. And yeah, it's funny. You, the other movie you were going to recommend to cover on this podcast was Howl's Moving Castle, a movie I also do not love. <laughs> um, so who knows, man? Maybe we're just going to go through the, the Ghiblis that Jack doesn't love and see where... See if I change my mind. But in this case, I'm sorry to say, folks, again, I'm not calling this an F. I'm not giving this movie an F grade. Uh, I don't know if I can even give it a grade. It's one of those movies where I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know where I stand. It's a nice movie. That's where I stand. It's a nice movie. It's a nice movie. Uh, okay. Um, fair. Okay. You're, yeah, sure. Um, the reason what I, what I really, um, what, you know, why I requested to speak about this. This is that, you know, in the terms of a storytelling perspective, you know, it really nails down like, you know, the levels of, you know, emotions, social, has um, aspects of material, mythical, and also, you know, rational thoughts as well, too. Um, lots of layers and lots of themes throughout, you know, kind of breaking through the entire film as we talk, you know, so just breaking down key points, you know, you have that the theme of intuition versus knowledge where, you know, in the beginning where they're in the abandoned theme park, obviously, you know, Chihiro has her own feelings versus uh, the knowledge of her parents. And, you know, there was that conflict over there, you know, and there's uh, themes of overcoming obstacles, which is you know, something that we can all relate in our lifetime. There is, you know, moments of courage, you know, facing, you know, courage in the face of adversity, you know, when, you know, when we're just pushed against the wall or, you know, and, you know, we're very scared or concerned, you know, where Yubaba is determined to, you know, see that Chihiro will fail, but, you know, throughout the movie, she just doesn't give up and she does, you know, she progresses and she's able to help save a river spirit's life and, you know, getting a lot of assistance from her, you know, considered as a hero. Um, you know, we see, like, a theme of that greed is not good, you know, with where we see no face kind of, you know, assumes the the frog's personality, your favorite character, the greedy little frog, and provides uh, to spew out hands full of gold, and it's, you know, we see that, you know, No-Face even offers it to Chihiro, where Chihiro refuses, and that's where No-Face, you know, becomes murderous and gobble-ups everyone, and so, and, you know, there's also elements of nature, 
and love Jack. And also there's just themes of, you know, notes of just having no regrets, just being able to have remembrance. And so these are just little details. Uh, you know, I guess it's, it's just, you know, this is a, as a child of the 90s, you know, we grew up with DVDs for my sake. I've had this DVD as a child and I watched this so many times, Jack, you have no idea. And sometimes it was out of joy, and sometimes it was just out of necessity, aka no cape or anything, no lack of internet back in the day. So I love this movie. You know, maybe your listeners, you know, listeners, I think you may love this movie too. Jack likes this movie, and that's okay. Um, because at the end of the day, as Miyazaki mentions, you know, this is just an opportunity for an escape, and, you know, in these, in these trying times. And I think he does a really good job of that. But I will agree with you one thing, Jack, um, I, or one thing I will say is that I definitely believe that this movie has gone a lot more attention than it should be just because of its Academy Award winning awards. Yeah. And I mean, there's Ghibli films that should have definitely won since then. I mean, again, uh, go back to our Wind Rises podcast. That's like over 100 episodes ago uh, where that film lost to Frozen. And as my co-host said, fuck Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the fucking thing man i mean and we could get into a you know an hour-long conversation about how the academy doesn't uh respect anime and you know let's also agree i mean how long it's what parasite won best picture just like maybe like four years ago or something so again uh as bong jun ho once said the the academy awards are a very local award show <laughs> They're very yeah, local. They're very local. That's uh, that that's their understanding of film. Yeah. This and again, like had the had the uh, best anime picture Oscar existed uh, when Princess Mononoke came out. Like my God, totally should have won. Porco Rosso should have won. Uh, many films, uh, many <laughs> films that were not uh, done by Disney or Pixar should have won. Um, Steven Spielberg also agreed. He said Spirited Away might be better than any Disney film he has ever seen. But yeah, there we go. Fogman, you're you're you ended us off on the high note. Um, Daniel, where can people find you? Do you want to be found? Do you need Insta followers? Do I need Insta followers? Uh, you know, you know, I'm often in the uh, you know, find me in the brewery area in Mount Pleasant. You see me, it's like a, a Easter egg. You know, get a free drink on me anytime. Not non-alcoholic or alcoholic beverage for sure. I'm I'm sure I'm sure our listeners in Malaysia will uh they'll they're gonna come just to meet you. They'll they'll find you there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Wait. Speaking of which, uh there is a stage adaptation of Spirited Away. Um it had a world premiere about a year ago. I think they've also done like um it's a pu- uh premiered theatrically as well. You can like go to like Cineplex screenings, so that's kind of cool. Um so yeah. Stage adaptation to to see this would definitely be pretty dope. I bet that would be excellent, honestly. I feel like maybe I would enjoy it more than the movie itself in some ways. Well, there would be a lot of, you know, there's a lot of necessary jump scenes that will be jumping around like they would in the movie. So, yeah. Uh, maybe we should totally watch that together, Jack. And maybe we can somebody, see it. <laughs> somebody fund my trip to Japan. Uh, anyways, uh, you can find me at Jack is jack on instagram only real jack m on twitter find this uh pod on instagram at 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 is this anime pod same handle on twitter even though we're not really active on twitter instagram is more fun um take care i know uh take care folks i know the release schedule of this podcast uh 
has been less consistent. Um, and uh, I can't promise it will be more consistent. But again, we're at least going to try and get two episodes out a month. I think that's, you know, life finds a way. I'm sure you, dear listener, also have other podcasts you enjoy listening to. We've also got, you know, over 100 of these episodes to begin with, uh, some of which have been listened to more than others. So, hey, there's always the backlog, folks. Uh, and remember, uh, maybe don't uh, join the war in Iraq. Please don't. Uh, Miyazaki would be unhappy. 